0: Good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk na- Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Thursday, June 10th, 2021. And uh, I'm going to dispense with the um, uh, nutritional stuff because we're going to be talking about the Constitution and things like that today. But I will say you can visit my website at YourDIYHealth. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y like do it yourself. Health, H-E-A-L-T-H. YourDIYHealth.com. And there's all kinds of information there. We encourage you to check everything out. If you have any questions about anything, hit the Contact Me button, and that'll give you a chance to send an email or call and leave a message. Either way, we'll get back with you as as quick as we can, usually within a few hours, and we'll do everything we can to get your questions answered and get you on the right track. While you're on the site, be sure and check the Radio Shows tab and at the top of the page. You'll see the link to our archive page set up through castbox.fm. And then scrolling down a little further, you'll see the information about the shows we do, when they're on, and how you listen. And then at the bottom of the page, you'll see the link to the Facebook page set up for show, as well as the chat room. Take advantage of all that stuff. There's no charge for anything except the products, and those support your health and the show. So it's a win-win, and we encourage you to do that, too. Um... But that's really it. Keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests, and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Eurofolk Radio Network, its owners or sponsors, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say should, on this show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health issue. Everything we say is uh, for your education and entertainment purposes only, so that as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping off point to do your own research and due diligence and make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. Now, the number to call into the show is 614-426-8787. 614-426-8787. One last time, 614 426 Four two six eight seven eight seven, and if you're on Skype, you can send a contact request to Sarge forty five A C P. That's S A R G E. The numbers four five. The letters A C P is in Paul. Mention you're a listener, we'll get you approved, and then from that point on, you'll be able to call in via Skype. and excellent audio quality whenever the show's on live. All righty. Now, like I said, as uh, normal on Thursdays, our guest is Mike Gaddy. And I'm going to get him on the phone right now and see where we go from here. Hello, Jim. Hey, good afternoon, Michael. How are we?
1: Ah, Doing real well, sir, and yourself?
0: I can't complain. I'm better than I deserve. And I'm going to see if I can uh, get uh, Brad on here. I haven't heard from him saying that he's not available, so we'll see what happens.
1: You going to talk to that crazy preacher? (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey, love it. I'm always up for that kind of conversation. <laughs> <I'm>
2: just
3: kidding.
0: <laughs> Hello. Hey, welcome, he Brad. Good to have you.
3: How are you guys doing
0: today? Fantastic. How are you?
3: I am perfect. Just wonderful.
0: Awesome. Well, I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but I thought I'd leave it up to you guys and see if you had anything that was just burning uh, desire that's something you wanted to talk about.
3: Jump on it, Brett. Well, I don't really have anything specific, but I'm sure I could scroll through uh, my Twitter feed in about four seconds and find the most ridiculous thing you've probably ever heard of. (laughs) Uh, That's just a... That's the times we live in, but no, I don't really have anything specific thought up.
0: Well, let's see here. I'm trying to remember if I've heard anything crazy in the last week or so. Um, I got, I just, just in passing, I saw yesterday that uh, there was a thing that was going around with Ted Cruz. He was talking about treason and the Constitution and all this junk, and I find it interesting. Everybody's such a constitutional scholar. The funny thing is, he's so so good at the Constitution. He never read the part that showed that he was not eligible to run for president. <laughs> but uh,
1: well, yeah. Hey, come on, you you can't. He's a good Republican. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, and as we remember from last week, <laughs>
1: yeah, you, you you can't hold those good Republicans to their uh, oath to the Constitution, Jim. What's up with that?
0: Oh, I don't know. I'm just trying to, you know, come up with something to talk about on the show today. we got two hours to kill.
2: <laughs> well,
1: uh, I tell you what, uh, I would, uh, the little meme I sent you, uh, yeah. I think that would make a great discussion. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I saw that. Uh, where did it go? Um, <laughs> man, I hate when this thing does this. There, it must be in here. Or maybe not. Good heavens. it?
1: Is it picking
0: on you? No, it's the the way the Skype works when you you bring up a live call. There, I, well, no. There okay, it is.
1: Well, I can read it if you read I it. I found it. Okay, go ahead.
0: It says it's a picture of the uh, Boston Tea Party, and it says America was founded by domestic terrorists, tax, tax resistors, smugglers, and traitors, not law-abiding subjects of a corrupt king and his bankers and some crazy person the the rebel madman <laughs> is is uh, given you the... got
1: to watch out for that character but <laughs> let's just think about it for a second jim uh-huh. and i've been with my teach me class and with my uh, uh on the telegram my rebel madman channel and um, also a constitutional fraud channel i have been talking about this and bringing up examples mm-hmm. if we went back to the actions of the Sons of Liberty, Samuel Adams and a lot of people, including Patrick Henry and others, all of those people, if they did the same thing today, they would all be uh, criminals. They
3: mm-hmm. would be
1: domestic terrorists. Oh, they yeah. would be tax resisters. They would be smugglers and traitors. All of them, Patrick Henry was called a traitor on multiple occasions for uh, standing up for tyranny again for the king's tyranny standing mm-hmm. up against it. So right. if we just do a transpose those people into today's era and if Samuel Adams the sons of liberty Patrick Henry if Patrick Henry had a meeting in a church in Richmond Virginia and advocated what he did against King George if he advocated that against this government he would be a traitor. He would be arrested and charged with treason.
0: Mm-hmm. No doubt.
1: So here I've had people ask me for, the, for years, Jim, how, how are we going to fix this thing? We're not going to fix it because we do not have the spirit that these people had. Because we prefer to be, and this is going to make a lot of people upset, but we prefer to be law-abiding citizens. But the laws we are following are the laws of the tyrant, just like the uh, King George, the laws of King George. The Stamp Act in 1765 uh, prompted uh, the beginnings of this. And Patrick Henry's speech before the House of Burgesses, where he was called a traitor on multiple occasions, and then the word got out to Boston, Samuel Adams picks it up, other people. They were going through the streets and going to the homes of the people who were oppressing them through the taxation, and they were uh, threatening them. They were going around with images of these people, hanging them in effigy. And if there's no way in the world that's going to happen today. It's just not well. it's just not going to happen. The people who stood against tyranny back then, would have been considered criminals if we did the same thing today think about the uh of course it was a farce but think about the january the sixth thing
2: Mm
1: -hmm. that today those people are, are considered to be terrible people all kind of lawsuits everything else think about all of the lawsuits that samuel adams patrick henry and others would have been facing in today's environment
0: oh yeah you know if and look at uh people that were just there on January 6th have been locked up without bail ever since. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're domestic terrorists, you know, right. because they stood up don't... for what they thought was I'm right.
1: Sorry. I'm sorry, Jim. Didn't mean to step on you there, buddy.
0: Yeah, they, they just stood up for what they thought was right, and that was it, you know, and they're and they're locked up indefinitely. Go ahead.
1: Well, that... That is why that this country can't survive, because we do not have the people, you know, we've got patriots, as they call themselves, and I spell it P-A-Y-T-R-I-O-T-S, because most of them want you to send them money to support your Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And these people are, there's no way that today's patriot society, today's uh, conservative society, there's no way they will oppose this government. They're just not going to do it. They, will, they think one part of the government, one wing of the buzzard, is better than the other wing of the buzzard, and they forget the damn buzzard in the middle.
0: <laughs> Definitely.
3: Come on, Brad. Help me out here, buddy. Well, one of the things I find interesting in this particular conversation is, despite all of this inactivity and yet all of this frustration— we the people have the right to alter, abolish, and reform our government. But uh, yet there's no further guidance given?
1: That's words on paper, my friend, to make people feel good. That is the pacifier
3: they let you suck on while they destroy you. So I guess my question is, is there there's no recipe then beyond that. There there's no process of if you do wish to alter abolish or reform your government here are your rights upon that desire does that not exist Well according to
1: Patrick Henry that's what the constitution left out remedy the Consti- ah. There was no remedy there and Patrick Henry said at the Virginia ratification convention are we are we to expect these people to draw up laws to punish themselves
3: Wow. So that concern was alive even back then, before the Constitution was ratified. Oh, yes.
1: Uh, Patrick Henry was very adamant about it. Uh, we, you, John Francis Mercer, Luther Martin, uh, Brutus, uh, John DeWitt. There were tons of people saying this exact same thing. And that y- y- a, any law without an enforcement mechanism is useless. Uh, I think I'm trying to think of who it was who said that
3: a— uh, a law without an enforcement mechanism is a suggestion, not a law. But the other side of that coin then, Mike, is without an enforcement mechanism also means there is no conviction mechanism if we happen to try it and do it wrong. Exactly. So we have a little more freedom as we, than we think. It's just that nobody has really dipped their toe in the water to realize that we can't actually swim through this. Well, here is, uh, how do you oppose
1: what's happening? And people are going to tell you, oh, well, we can vote. Let's run down to the polls. Well, we saw how that worked. Uh, so <laughs> what, what we have been taught is there is no mechanism to fix this. So what you are told is you're a resident on that great federal plantation. Just do what you're told. Uh, put, on your, uh, put on your mask. Uh, take your uh, jab. Uh, and just shut up and do what we tell you because you have no recourse. And to actually affect a recourse, you would have to become a criminal.
3: Wow. Whew.
0: Man. We painted ourselves into a corner.
1: Well, uh, guys, there. Uh, You know, we go about abolishing, like you said, Brad, we have that right, and I think you'll find that listed in every state constitution as well. But here's the point, if the state constitution says that we have a right to abolish or reform or whatever the government is that enforceable on the
3: federal level well I mean you're asking questions where there's no reference for an answer because they've basically bluffed the American public into believing they've got this right and technically they do but until somebody calls the bluff and exercises that right how do we know what the rules are it's like somebody leaving a blank will and and dying
0: Well, the people are the ultimate sovereigns and the states are the ones who are party to the contract known as the Constitution. So the states have the authority to do whatever they want as long as they agree, I would say.
1: Well, Jim, what if I threw out this uh, post, this posit? We say over and over and over again that the people are the sovereign. My contention is is that God is the sovereign, not well, the people. Yeah, ultimately. <laughs> and, and the people have messed it up like they usually do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we allowed the uh, people at the—and and we still honor them, the people who went to Philadelphia. We allowed them to extract an oath to the Christian faith from the states and from the federal document, so that no one had to take an oath to the Christian faith— So we, the people, became
3: the sovereign instead of God. So in the Articles of Confederation, God was sovereign, and your elected officials or your leaders took an oath to the Christian faith? On the state level, they took an oath
1: to the Christian faith. Twelve of the 13 states had that oath to the Christian faith in their constitutions. The only state that didn't was Rhode Island, and Rhode Island didn't show up for the convention. So every state represented at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, those people were operating under a solemn oath to the Christian faith. And then one of the first things they did, well, not first things, but one of the things they did was they eliminated the Christian faith with Article 6, Clause 3. Now, Samuel Bryan who wrote as Sentinel called the constitutional convention, a criminal conspiracy. And he was exactly right
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because here were all of the representatives from the States operating under a Christian oath and they deleted the Christian oath. They did not have the authority to do that.
0: Would you think he would say the same of a constitutional convention if it was convened now? the con con convention of states
1: is there hey jim <laughs> please, i know i don't but I, I this is a rhetorical question i know your answer before i answer it before i ask it but do you think for a moment you or brad either one think that if we sent some politicians to uh, draft a new constitution that they would ingrain an oath to the christian faith within that new form of government
0: <laughs> heavens no They wouldn't do anything good you know they would just do something that would give them more power and authority and money probably worse than the current one and that's why i can't figure out why any thinking american in their right mind would uh, even consider such a thing and it makes it's laughable everybody talks about mark levin All the time about, well, I won't say everybody because I know President Company is excluded. (laughs) But everybody thinks Mark Levin is such a great patriot and he's pushing for a constitutional convention. And it just blows me away that people follow that garbage. It's unbelievable.
1: Well, he has never found a war he wouldn't support. Yep. And he talks about the Constitution, but... Every war since World War II is unconstitutional, and therefore it is invalid, Mm -hmm. immoral and invalid.
0: Yep. It's nuts.
1: So one of the things I've liked to do in the past, guys, and and we can just stop and think about this, uh, Let's think about the Declaration of Independence, and let's take a few uh, complaints. Paragraph 3 of the Declaration of Independence, I've referred to as the Bill of Indictment against King George III. And let's look at that, and let's see if it bears any relationship to what we're looking at today. And it says that, uh, it says, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferances of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which trains them to alter their former systems of government the history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states to prove this let these facts be submitted to a candid mind okay that's that's the preemptory here to what he accuses the king of doing see if we have any of this do we have a long train of abuses in this country
0: let me stop you for just a second please he, do you said to uh, to uh, prove this let these let facts be submitted to a candid you said mind my copy says world
1: Oh, did I say mind? I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just world. curious if you mind had some
0: other yeah. document there that was like a rough draft or <laughs> something. Oh, no,
1: no, my apologies on that. Uh, that uh, was uh, a Freudian slip, I guess. <laughs> I was thinking about the candid mind. Okay. But to a candid world. <laughs> but if you're going to uh, appeal to it, you have to appeal to the minds of the world. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to justify my mistake, but uh, right. uh, I did mess that one up. Okay. Okay. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. (laughs) Bingo. Okay, has the government refused any laws that would restrain government?
0: Absolutely not.
1: Have they uh, done anything with abortion in 40-some years? Nope. Okay, here's another one. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. Now, look at the laws that have been proposed. I, you know, I'm going to bring this up by states, and I'm going to jump back to the Affordable Care Act. Oh, blink. Back years ago, we had thirty-five states that had filed within their state legislatures opposition to Obamacare. Now I'm not sure how the math works with politicians, but I believe thirty-five is a majority of fifty. Mm-hmm. So here was thirty-five states that said we do not want this. So what happened? they got John Roberts to cast the deciding vote to make it look like it was a real nip and tuck deal so the conservative and I know you challenged me on this before Jim and you're exactly right but that's what they called him when they put him in office the conservative judge John Roberts votes and says it is constitutional and not only is it constitutional but it is because it's it is constitutional because it's a tax when the very verbiage in the act says it's not a tax. Yeah. So to me, that is exactly, he has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance.
0: Makes you wonder who's pulling his strings.
1: Well, I don't think there's any doubt, Jim. (laughs) I don't think for a minute anyone will ever, will ever acquire the position of a Supreme Court judge that is not owned and controlled. No.
2: Or they
1: any position. do not allow these things to happen by happenstance. And, yep. you know, again, we've talked about, you know, both uh, Kavanaugh and uh, uh, what...
0: Uh, Amy Barrett, Coney Barrett.
1: Yeah, uh, Barrett and uh, what was the other? Gorsuch. Gorsuch. Uh-huh. We talked about them and there there is no there's not a conservative uh uh bone in their bodies nope. i mean but the uh the great influence happened and we got uh, you know uh, Vorsuch, uh who uh, attended a church in denver that had same-sex marriages uh as a uh standard feature uh you had uh kavanaugh who uh uh, help the Clintons cover up the murder of Vince Foster. Uh, you know, I, I just don't understand. But you cover all of that up in the wonderful battle between the home team and the visiting team, between the Democrats and the Republicans. You cover up all of these crimes, making people think there's a difference between those two parties. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the greatest illusion in history. I made the uh, statement on a, a radio program on Tuesday afternoon I believe there's just as many socialists in the Republican Party as there are in the Democrat Party.
0: Probably so. At least with tacit approval. Right. They go along to get along. They don't have the guts to stand up and oppose anything, for the most part.
1: No, and they're, they're not going to. And again, when I talk about the Constitution and the Articles of Confederation, under the Articles of Confederation, there was no executive. They didn't want another king, and there was no judicial branch. They didn't need a judicial branch. They had judicial branches within their state to take care of their state issues. Mm-hmm. They didn't need some judge sitting two to 3,000 miles away to cast a vote that would affect them, and they weren't even residents of their state.
0: And literally, the way they had... the Supreme Court originally set up in the Constitution where it was just to determine disputes between the states. That's the only reason I can see for having it. You know, anything else should have been handled within the states.
1: Exactly. And here was the other thing, Jim, that people do not understand that we lost in that. And that was when the states had the judicial system, And the authority within the juries, both Grand and Pettit, was to rule both on the facts and the law. So a Uh a, uh, grand jury hearing a case could have said, "Okay, uh, yeah, uh, we're we're not going to allow this to proceed because your law is unconstitutional. Right. Or, hey, we're going we're going to do this. We're not going to allowed this to happen, or the other, uh, the jury sitting in in the actual trial Mm -hmm. could watch the facts and the law. But as soon as the Constitution took effect in 1788, as soon as it was ratified by the ninth state, which was New Hampshire, as soon as it was ratified the authority of the people in their own states to make decisions on the constitutionality of laws was immediately transferred to unelected people in the federal judiciary. That's hard for people to take. That's hard for people to understand, but that's exactly what happened. You took the people's authority to look at their area in their own environment. Let's break that down to the lowest common denominator. Jim, uh, all of us have been members of a family, and there are things that go on within the family. Maybe people are making a decision. You're making a decision about, uh, okay, we're, we're thinking about buying a new car. We're thinking about maybe uh, remodeling the house, or you're making other decisions, personal and, you know, of many different varieties. Why would you want a guy who lives in New York City to make those decisions for you? In essence, that's what we did. We took the power of the people of their states to make decisions on their own environment and we turned it over to people hundreds of miles away or at at that time you could get a thousand miles away, I suppose, if you were down in the lower uh, stretches of uh, Georgia. But you could get people that you didn't even know and who didn't know you to make decisions which affected your life. And I know people don't like it when you break it down to the fair common denominator, but this is what happened. Why should John Roberts, who has never been to the state of Ohio, and I'll use that because you gentlemen are there, he's probably been there. But what I'm saying is, why should he have been able to make a decision which affected 35 states that he possibly didn't even live in?
0: Good point.
3: And went against their desire. It's not like he represented a state and gave them what they want without living there. He went against mm-hmm. their desire.
0: Yeah.
3: Right. Exactly. And uh, one of
1: the interesting things I've really gotten into uh, lately is, uh, of course, on my 14-hour drive to Iowa last week, I listened to a lot of lectures and a lot of—I uh, listened to some audiobooks. And I was listening to uh, a lecture on the Federalist Papers and was just absolutely kind of kicked in the backside again by the conversation with Alexander Hamilton on multiple occasions where both he and Madison said that there was no virtue to be found in the people of the states, that the virtue would only be found in the government.
0: Oh, man. Talk about just the opposite.
1: And they had even vocalized, and I think it's uh, sixty-two through sixty-five or sixty-six in the uh, uh, Federalist Papers. They vocalized that the, you know the less the people had to do with their own government, the better things would be.
0: Yeah, a bunch of, of elitist snobs.
1: I might not argue with them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, in this day and age, that's almost true because people are so stupid and dumbed down but the thing is is for people like that to make that you know statement back then people were pretty well educated back then i think or a lot better than they are now and able to think um it's just disgusting the elitist attitude they had and it's it's carried over you know we got the same thing now
1: i think it's uh, actually been multiplied jim
0: oh yeah without a doubt i
1: think i think there's a well you know it would be hard to have more arrogance than Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> I
0: but don't know. Uh, I think Barack Obama's got it pretty nailed, and
1: oh, pretty much so
0: now, on the other hand, you got Biden and you know Joe and the hoe I mean those two are you know too stupid to be arrogant,
1: but they're arrogant anyway,
0: yeah, they try. <laughs> <laughs> And, and they can't pull it off, and the rest him. of the world is I'm laughing watching.
1: at them. Here was, I found this quote this morning by Alexander Hamilton about George Washington, and people think they were really, uh, really got along well. Alexander Hamilton thought George Washington was a joke. And uh, he thought he was a terrible uh, battlefield commander, which I think the record would prove that he is, or was. Uh, but Hamilton's had this to say on Washington, and I quote, I have, I have felt no friendship for him and I have professed I did, it was neither remarkable for delicacy nor good-tempered, unquote. Sure. So, you know, it, it, when you look at the interaction and you have to continually ask yourself, how did Hamilton wield so much power in Washington's administration? Because I believe I can make the case that Hamilton ran the government under George Washington's two administrations.
0: And the combination of Washington just being tired of the whole mess and potentially being incompetent um, would make it easy for Hamilton to kind of take over, I would say. And I want want to add real quick the fact that uh, Washington was a crummy battlefield commander That just shows that God can take even the uh, most worthless thing and you know do something good with it Uh, to be able to beat the most powerful military force in the world with a crummy commander that's a miracle of God you know and we're here because of it you know God built this country or started this country it wasn't man and uh, we got to realize that and get back to it
1: well Actually, Jim, if you look at the uh, look upon it here, Washington did not lead the army to victory. Washington lost more battles than he won. Mm -hmm. The victory for this country occurred in the south, and Washington didn't even want to send troops to the south. Right. So the actual, uh, when the uh, English decided... (laughs) When they pulled out of New York City and Philadelphia and they decided to uh, come and do a pincer movement and the classic pincer movement and come up through Savannah and Charleston, that is when, and there were some classic arguments there because Jefferson was uh, governor of uh, Virginia. And when this began to happen, when they began to come into Virginia, uh, Jefferson uh, called the Congress, or, you know, by uh, letter, of course and said, hey, we need some support here. We need some help. And the Congress pretty well said, well, you know, we're supporting Washington in uh, New York and in New England. And uh, Jefferson said, but he's doing nothing. (laughs) And we we have sent him troops to help in New England. And now we're, we actually have the British on the ground here. Why can't we have troops? Now, those are parts of history we're not taught about, but I just read those this morning, uh, the dispatches from Jefferson to, uh, to the Congress uh, about troops to defend the South. And uh, the uh, Brits did not know what they were getting into. They just didn't understand it at all when they went into the South, when they went into the South, and then suddenly they started uh, encountering people who would shoot at you behind a tree and behind a rock and not march in a state straight line. So you could kill them.
0: Yeah. Those pesky little Patriots. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Those uh, crazy guys, Francis Marion, uh, John severe. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people won the, uh, yeah. the war. It wasn't Washington. And that's that move. Of course we can't study that because you know, good old George cut down the cherry tree and all that other crap.
0: I have got somebody. Uh, Robert's trying to call him. Let me see if I can merge him. Don't know if he made it or not. Uh, Robert, you there? Hello. No, this, no, this is yeah. Thomas. Well, Robert's there too. I got I got two of you. <laughs> the other person, you know, the the nine five four number. Uh, it, didn't look like you would come in so you were here first so i'll let you know I'll go to you and then we'll go to robert afterwards go ahead
2: yeah i was wondering uh from uh mike's research he seems to know a lot about what's going on back there um and you're talking about washington george washington and i wondered. i i heard some stuff over the years about him uh, number one i guess he through inheritance he had Something I, as I recall, something like fifteen hundred acres of land or something, and uh, but he then did marry a, a woman named I think Mary Custis who was a, a widow. Martha she Custis. Already had children, and she had like seventeen thousand acres of land. Yes. So that's kind of nice. Um, <laughs> The other thing I heard about, so obviously he wasn't really a self-made man because his smaller portion was through inheritance, and, of course, his great big portion was through a marriage. And the other thing I heard about George was he uh, he had quite a, a gambling uh, 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 habit, but I'm not sure. I've just kind of heard that over the years. He liked to gamble, which, ne- you know, n- neither here is neither here nor there. But the other thing I heard was um, when he was uh, – is this true? He was given over the, uh, to, to become the, uh, the head of the armies, and uh, they proposed some form of a, uh, a stipend for him, you know, uh, for, for him to uh, be paid. And the story went that he basically, you know, he declined it almost in like, uh, like, how could I, you know, be so low as to accept money to do such a thing? But what he did do, what the, the story goes, is he said, but I would require you to cover my expenses. And the story goes that his expenses far exceeded anything they ever would have paid him. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just sort of throwing that out there.
1: Well, one of the, uh, and that's a very good observation, uh, one of the uh, people, uh, one of the few historians that I actually trust was Forrest McDonald, the late Forrest McDonald, University of Alabama. And uh, he had a very interesting observation, which I, from all my research, I find to be uh, pretty well spot on. And his observation was, and I will read it, Washington at 54 could have added little to the intellectual average of any convention, and his knowledge of what to do in one barely extended beyond rules of order. But that was all he needed to know, for any assembly he attended was likely to elect him the presiding officer. He had two attributes that even without his unparalleled prestige prompted men to choose him. The, the lead, prompted them to choose him the leader. And it mattered not that one of the attributes was trivial and that the other he carried to the point of triviality, nor did it matter that for the last third of his life, he was largely and self-consciously playing a part. The first attribute was that he looked like a leader in an age in which most Americans stood about five feet five and measured nearly three fourths of that around the waist. Washington stood six feet and had broad, powerful shoulders and slim hips, and he had learned the trick when men said something beyond his understanding of looking at them in a way that made them feel irreverent and stupid. The other attribute was personal integrity. At times, Washington's integrity was bewildering, for his artlessness and his susceptibility to flattery led him to endorse actions that less scrupulous but more cagey men might shun, and at times it could be overbearing and stifling. But it was unimpeachable, and everyone knew it, and that, above all, made Washington a useful tool. Others would do the brain work and the dirty work. Washington need only to be there, but if there was to be a national government, he absolutely had to be there to lend his name to the proceedings." Unquote.
2: So you never heard, though, that he basically spent far more, maybe that's just, maybe that's just a rumor, but someone seemed to have quite a handle on it, and they said, no, no, they offered him X amount, and he said, I just couldn't possibly accept money for such a noble cause, but then when the, the, when the balance sheets came in, he'd spent all kinds of money.
1: Well, I do know that he was very closely affiliated with Robert Morris. He and Robert Morris were fantastic friends, and uh, Robert Morris stole millions uh, from the war effort, uh, being the chief financier of the Revolutionary War. He stole millions of dollars, and I am sure that uh, his good friend Washington probably profited as well, as I know Alexander Hamilton and Gouverneur Morris also profited from it because they became stockholders in the First Bank of North America. So uh, there, uh, the possibility for money, I am sure it was there because of Robert Morris. Uh, and Morris uh, was able to conceal most of his handlings, and they actually put a provision in the Constitution to protect Morris from prosecution. And, of course, he was at the Constitutional Convention. And then, ironically, if you go through the letters, a letter from uh, during the uh, first Congress when they were uh, uh, debating a Bill of Rights, uh, Robert Morris wrote a letter to Francis Hopkinson, and in that letter he said uh, he was worried about the Bill of Rights because he said that uh, Patrick Henry was haunting James Madison. And James Madison, he was afraid, was going to pass let pass the wrong amendments, and he said that if the right amendments is passed, I will hang. So I think that was... Uh, you know,
2: you. I don't know how you discount that. Yeah, yeah so another thing I heard, again, I'm not, they, something was read that, you know, Washington, you say he was a big, impressive man. And I heard stories that he could actually crack a walnut in his bare hands, um, meaning that would be sort of part of his, his persona, you know, kind of a big manly guy.
1: Well, he probably could, but he couldn't lead troops. He was not known as a a battlefield commander of any renown. Uh, He had the name, and that helped, and he did that. But uh, when you really look at it from a military point of view, if you look at it from strategy and what have you, uh, he got his butt handed to him by the British on several occasions, and uh, especially in New York.
2: Wasn't like Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox, wasn't he one of the people you were talking about in the South who really
1: oh, yes. yes,
2: very effective around Georgetown there?
1: Right, um, very much so. And then if you go up into the Highland areas, you know, you look at Guilford Courthouse, that was a great battle to look at. The uh, uh, colonists were very much uh, outnumbered, and even though the uh, they they counted that a victory for the uh, uh, British, the uh Casualty rate was overwhelming against the British at Guilford Courthouse. Cowpens is another great example. And if you look at Kings Mountain and look at John Sevier and the tactics there, uh, these backwood fighters just were far and head and shoulders above the uh, march in a straight line and shoot at each other crowd of Washington.
0: Kings Mountain was something else. I've been there. And the uh, situation they had... (laughs) They had quite the uh, fortified uh, uh, position at the top of that mountain and made the statement that even God couldn't win a battle there. And, of course, they yeah. proved them wrong, and that was pretty cool. But I'll tell you what, Kings Mountain is a, an amazing place. If you ever get a chance to go there in North Carolina, it's it's something. Let's go to uh, Robert real quick. Robert, you still there? I think you may have dropped him. I think you may have dropped off, but Robert, you there?
4: Yeah, you got me.: Yeah, go ahead.: Yeah, yeah. I need to uh, put the transmission reverse and back up to something that uh, Professor Gaddy said earlier, talking about uh, abortion, and uh, I forget the exact words you used, Michael, but something about nothing's going on with that arena, or something something to that effect. I'll draw your attention to Dobbs V. Jackson. That is a case at Supreme Court will be taking up this October. Dobbsy Jackson, for those who don't know, and I didn't know it, so I'll just look it up, uh, it's a law the state of Mississippi passed back in 2018 that outlaws abortion in that state past 15 weeks of pregnancy, and lower courts have tried to poo-poo that law saying it's unconstitutional or whatever it violates women's rights. Anyway, it has wound its way through the courts and will be on the U.S. Supreme Court docket this October. Now, how they're going to rule the way it's going—flip uh, a coin and throw a dart at a board—who knows? We'll find out next summer. But that's one that they'll be dealing with. There'll be food thought. Well, it could um, overturn Roe versus Wade.
1: With- uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, I expect to see cattle flying any time next week, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Holstein or Black Angus. So. Well, you—I'll let you pick. Probably both.
0: They're the because bombers, and the pigs the thing, will be fight, fighter are, escorts. There
1: is no way in the dickens they are going to overturn this. I mean, they've had every opportunity out there because you know people think that thought that when Reagan appointed Sandra Day O'Connor, the, that it was going to happen then. Now there have been several states like Mississippi that have taken on this issue. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma has a uh, worked on a, a, a great law. This is where I go back to my former point. And this is a great illustration, and Robert, I thank you so much for bringing it up. If the people of Mississippi in their own state said, we don't want abortions here, why should someone who doesn't live in Mississippi or seven people or nine people who don't live in Mississippi Get to decide what the people of Mississippi should have. Exactly. Well, let me let me back it up even further. Uh, Thirty-eight seconds after Roe v.
4: Wade uh, came down the pike in 1973, why couldn't any of the 50 governors have said, "Hey, wait a minute, I'm invoking the Tenth Amendment. This is not going to fly in my state." That would have stopped it right there, to me.
1: Well, uh, the Tenth Amendment wouldn't have helped because the wording of the Tenth Amendment. If you'll read Richard Henry Lee's letter to Patrick Henry he covers how the Tenth Amendment was neutered with or the people, because with or the people, it meant that if the state didn't like it, it went back to the people in in unison of all the states. So they covered, with the wording of the Tenth Amendment, they covered that uh, possibility.
4: What about the Ninth?
1: They won't touch the Ninth. The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court will not touch it, but yes, there is a provision there. But if the Supreme Court can refuse to hear a case, what good is it to bring it? Just think about the past election. You
4: no, know, I'm saying, what if a governor said, "I'm invoking the Ninth Amendment a of the Tenth Amendment, a Ninth Amendment of the of the uh, U.S. Constitution"? Ergo, Roe versus Wade is null and void in my state
1: well here's the thing it's called article six paragraph two they prepared for your defense robert Jim, have you got Article yep. 6, Paragraph 2 there you could read for the folks?
0: Yep. The Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. And the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. They got gotcha. you. Which
1: means. <laughs> the Supreme, which means the Supreme Court can rule over anything the states do. And here is the other thing that's scary about that. Did you know that a treaty can supersede the Constitution?
4: Yeah, we talked about that, like the Treaty of Versailles. Yes.
1: Right. Well, how many how many senators does it take to approve a treaty? like the guy
3: just on the majority that table, of whoever's one, present. <laughs> All majority? right, hold on here. That's, that's new information for me. Tell me about that. A treaty oh. can override the constitution. Yeah. Jim yeah. just read that.
0: You know, the thing that gets me and I, I would love to see if there was any um, and you might know this, Mike, I'm sure if there was any um, conversation about this in the convention, Because, you know, it says the Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and then all treaties made, which shall be made under the authority of the United States. And even though it doesn't come out and specifically say it, I would still say that any treaties have to be made in pursuance of the Constitution to be valid. But it's not saying that here. Um, and I was curious whether there's any conversation about that in the actual convention as to what the thoughts of the founders were. Because oh, the it's way it's time. worded George here, Mason, it doesn't really say that, uh, but that's the way it should be.
1: George Mason theoretically jumped up and down. He The uh, uh, treaty thing just really upset Mason, and he said that no treaty should be allowed to pass in the United States without the agreement of three quarters of the states.
0: That's a good point. And, and it should he, also be in compliance got, with the Constitution.
1: Robert, I'm sure he did,
4: Robert's reason. And it is three senators, John, uh, John uh, Michael.
1: Well, I think uh, I'm trying to think where it is exactly is. I'm thinking Article 2, Section 2, something like that uh, of the Constitution. Don't hold me to that one. I'm not positive on it. But uh, in somewhere it says that uh, all treaties made uh, by uh, uh, the majority of the senators present, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that all you have to take it to the Senate. The president can call uh, three senators into his uh, chambers, and if the president and two senators agree, they've got a treaty.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 And that's, I, I, that's why George Mason was jumping up and down, and that's why he was uh, put down.
1: Yeah, Mason, Mason's an interesting figure, guys. There some sometime we probably should just do a program, if you guys are amenable, to just do uh, what Mason uh, attacked and what his thoughts were at the Constitutional Convention, because that's one hell of a study.
0: Sounds good to me.
1: And Mason is pretty well forgotten in history. I mean, we all heard of George Mason. We got George Mason University, and people have heard about these things. But most people do not know how strong he stood. You know, he opposed slavery right along with Luther Martin. He was right there with him, opposing the inclusion of slavery. And and people say, but Mason was a slave owner. Well, yes, so was Washington. So was Hamilton. <laughs> You know, so let, let's let throw that canard out with the wash. But Mason stood strong against, very strong against slavery. He wanted the, uh, a Bill of Rights, and he fought hard for a Bill of Rights, and he said at the end of the entire thing, and he just doesn't get enough credit for this, on September 17, 1787, George Mason said, I would rather chop off my right hand than sign this document.
2: I have a question. Yes, sir. Do you remember that thing called the Trans-Pacific Partnership? TPP. Right? Yes. Would, would that have been considered a treaty, and therefore within the United States some kind of international business courts would then be able to decide on problems we might have between other countries out in the Pacific?
1: Absolutely, it would have depended on how they worded it. If they would have put it together as a treaty, Obama could have had, uh, or whoever was involved at that time. But uh, you know, the thing I have worried about many times, uh, and I don't want to get away from your question, but, but if they would have worded it and said, okay, we're making this a treaty, all they had to do was to get a lawyer to draw up the verbiage. And they they could have uh, absolutely have made it a treaty.
4: Yeah, it, it, it damn near was a treaty.
1: Right. And the thing that has always worried me is this United Nations gun ban. And I have, and you know, they uh, there actually was a proposal out there as a treaty. And uh, when you stop and think how precarious this position is, and I think it's going to happen. I think it'll probably happen under uh, Kamala Harris. I think that eventually they will bring in and they will adopt that amendment, I mean that treaty, and say okay, and it the treaty therefore according to Article Six, Paragraph Two, will exceed the Constitution, and they will say okay, the the Second Amendment is null and void. Of course, they said they've been, they've not said it in words, but they have done it in actions. They have said that the uh, Second Amendment is null and void since 1934. In the not
4: anyway, all the gun laws that have been passed since?
1: Well, well every... All
0: the gun laws are every, unconstitutional.
1: Every gun law is unconstitutional. I would agree. hmm I would agree. So,
2: so does that mean, then, that if they whip this thing up and the verbiage was correct and it was a treaty, then the majority of senators present, whatever that means, could kind of give it a good housekeeping seal of approval, and we'd be under a gun ban which would supersede our second amendment?
1: Absolutely. That's absolutely. The supremacy clause says that those treaties would supersede the constitution itself.
0: Yeah, you could do it with the, as little as 2 senators. No. That is, that's as article two, three, section 2 section paragraph no, 2 paragraph 2.
2: say we better be careful we might be giving them
1: some ideas oh they've got the ideas
0: oh yeah state (laughs) department document 7277
1: 25 30 years ago yeah
0: 7277
4: as the late great andrew jackson once said and i now quote they may have said it now let them enforce it (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. exactly you know i don't care what kind of treaty they pass god gave me the right and no man can take it away period I don't rely on a piece of paper.
1: Jim, I I totally agree with you, and that's what troubles me. You know, and here's one of the things I have said. I remember in Colorado, there was a sheriff, and I thought he was a good guy. And he and I used to have an awful lot of conversations, and he would ask me questions about this, questions about that. And he said, uh, do you have a concealed carry permit? And I said, uh, Yeah. And he said, uh, who issued it? And I said, God. And he said, but you've got to have a state concealed carry permit. I said, Sheriff, if you see me, I'm armed. If you need to make an arrest, here I am. (laughs) And he said, well, i tell you what I'll do. He said, I will pay for it if you'll go get a concealed carry (laughs) permit. And I said, Sheriff, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it because I am not going to... Transfer my God given rights to the uh, uh, capriciousness of a human being who happens to be a government employee. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm the same way. I taught concealed carry for years here in Ohio before the law passed. And I worked on the law. And when the NRA screwed us over and brought in a permit system, I stopped teaching classes and people would come to me, "Can you teach me so I can get my CCW?" I said, "Absolutely not. I'll teach you, but not so you can get your permit. I will not be a part of anybody giving up their God-given right for a state-granted privilege." And I, that's that's when I stopped and I could have made lots and lots of money from that day forward, you know, teaching these suckers, and I said, "Nope, I'm not going to do it." I've been through the training, you know, I went through the training with my church guys here a few, about a year and a half ago, just for the refresher course and to see what they're teaching. And I got the paperwork and I could get my permit and I said, ain't no, not going to do it. And I can suggest to other people. I said, get the, get the training, but don't get the permit. You know, yep. you can get all the training you want. Just don't, you know, give up your rights for privileges. Samuel's well, called in. Let me see what he's got going on.
1: Happened, guys, And I firmly believe this, and thanks for bringing it up, Jim and, and Robert, uh, is the point that when it comes to rights, why would I ever say, well, God said this, but the government said that? And I'm, gonna, and I'm going to follow the government.
0: Acts <laughs> 529, we know. ought to obey God rather than men.
1: Well, guys, I'll never forget. I think it was in Sherman, Arkansas. And I had a dinner one time. I was a, or a lunch actually. I gave a presentation to a bunch of attorneys and lawyers. I mean, uh, lawyers and judges. They were both there. And I chose for my subject that day one line out of the Declaration of Independence. One line and one line only. And that was, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. That was actually just a clause. (laughs) And I said, let's take this apart, please, folks. And I said, let's look at words. Words have meanings. We are endowed. What does endowed mean? And so we went gifted. over endowed. We had a discussion. I, I was, I was, uh, you know, we had these legal folks there, and they were discussing what endowed means.
0: That's an ongoing gift.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what we came to. And here, this is why I wanted to do it, because these were lawyers and judges. And I said, okay, we are endowed. Okay, it is permanent. And it was given by our creator. And we didn't vote for him. But he's our creator, and he's in charge. Okay. Endowed with certain unalienable. What does unalienable mean?
0: Can't be taken away.
1: Back off. Keep your mitts to yourself. <laughs> and here was the thing, and then I said, okay, rights. Okay, and then my question was, On once capital I capital these legal minds to uh, acquiesce to the meaning of that sentence, then I said, why in the world would you ever consider the fact that a group of men or women, men and women, a group of people get together and said, "God rules bad. We're changing it." I'm sorry. Say it again. God. What now? What? I said. Here. Here's my question. What would make you believe for a moment? That you could put together a group of people, call them a legislature, call them a city council, call them the county commissioners, call them whatever you want to. What, in your mind, makes you think that those people could get together and say, okay, well, God granted this right, but we don't like it, so we're going to overrule God?
4: Mm. Now, that's a good question.
1: You know they never did invite me back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Imagine that,
1: Michael Getty. I could, if if I had a list
4: of everyone who doesn't want you after one interaction, I'm not sure there's enough paper in the universe to 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 enumerate all
5: those names.
0: You're in good company, and I know a couple of preachers that are in the same boat as you. <laughs>
5: It's a a repeat of the book of Samuel.
0: Yeah, speaking of Samuel, I want to go to Samuel before we run out of time here. Samuel, go ahead.
5: Yeah, I originally called because I want to get, you know, what's the real story behind Yorktown? I lived in Newport News uh, for two years, and the parkway was just a little ways away. And I went out there, and I looked at that place, and I said, why would anybody try to defend this place? I mean, I guess it, they use it as a port, so they were just bringing men in there. But And then that cryptic thing between what is it, Gates and Washington, when Gates is telling him what the future of the country is going to be and stuff, I mean, what, what can you say about that?
0: You mean Gage? Gage,
5: Gage General Gage. Gates.
1: Ah, that is a, uh, you know do we want to discuss that from the level of military strategy or I'm not sure I exactly get your uh, question there, sir. Well, I guess the main thing
5: was this, this stuff that Gage said to Washington or supposedly said about the future of the country and how they're going to take it over anyway.
1: Well, you know, let me jump just a second in answering that question. Let me jump to the Treaty of Paris in 1783. And in the Treaty of Paris in 1783, the three representatives for the United States or the colonies, whatever you wanted to call them at the time, the three representatives were John Jay, uh, John Adams, and uh, Benjamin Franklin. And in the Treaty of Paris, all three of those men are listed esquire. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> all three of them negotiated a treaty with King George III's representatives, which stipulates in the Treaty of Paris that King George III is the prince of the United States. So maybe Gates knew what was going to happen, huh? Mm.
5: So, Washington was he really part of that movement? To, I mean, and the French blocked him from the sea, I guess, right? But was Washington's presence there really of any real note?
1: Not really. Uh, you had the, uh, you still had the elements of the Virginians. You had these backwoods people who were, uh, you know, and. One of the wonderful things about that when you get into that study is how many of those people came out of the churches in the South and how many of their leaders militarily were also their preachers or ministers. Yep.
5: Interesting. Well, the, the other thing that I want to mention on treaties is, you know, I I know it's a little different on the East Coast, but all our, 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 uh, our land patents are based on treaty law out west. Right. So one good thing, I guess, about the treaties is uh, even the Supreme Court won't overrule them.
1: No. The Supreme Court, in effect, by Article 6, Clause 2, or Paragraph 2, I keep saying Clause 2, please pardon me. It's Paragraph 2, it's not a clause. But uh, Paragraph 2 uh, stipulates that uh, Uh, The treaties are, in effect, you can overrule anything in the Constitution with a treaty, and most Americans are completely unaware of that fact. Because most Americans wouldn't know the Constitution if they found it in their Wheaties.
3: Hey, Mike, do me a favor. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Brett. Revisit what you said about um, a person being Prince of the United States. Well, if you read the Treaty
1: of uh, Paris, signed in 1783, Brad, you will find that uh, uh, the, uh, King George is listed in that treaty as the Prince of the United States.
3: Okay, so pretend I'm really stupid when it comes to history, because that might just be the truth. The Treaty of Paris, then, did that end the war that split us from Britain? Uh, allegedly so, yes. But yet in the treaty that ended the war, we adopted their king as a prince? Yes. Is that treaty still in effect?
1: Well, uh, or do you live in the United States? Currently, yes. Okay. That, that That's the answer. That treaty is still in effect. No one has ever amended that in the uh, Treaty of Paris.
4: Hey, Mike.
1: Sir. What? I don't like Wheaties. Pardon me? <laughs> what about your oatmeal or your scrambled eggs?
4: Oh, I love scrambled eggs, brother. I could eat that all day long. Love you, know what? A weed, you
6: know what? Wheaties was breakfast for champions.
1: Yeah. Well, guys, I tell you what. I, I am blessed, and I don't take personal ownership of the knowledge that I have. Because I know that that's a blessing. My grandfather told me when I was a a younger individual. He said, "Young man," he said, "the good Lord has blessed you with a wonderful memory." Now it's up to you whether you use it for good or bad. So I put my memory there. But one of the things that has just just absolutely freaks me out is when I get people, and I will make a statement about something that happened at the Constitution. A constitutional Convention, or what have you, and I usually only make those statements if I've got original source documents to back them up. And recently I had someone say, well, you're just wrong about the Constitution. I said, okay, well, show me where. And they said, well, you're just wrong. And I said, well, may I ask you a question? They said, sure. I said, have you ever heard of Luther Martin? No. Have you ever heard of John Francis Mercer? No. Have you ever heard of Samuel Bryan? No. Have you ever heard of John DeWitt? No. I said, I have. How am I wrong? But in today's world, and this is, this is killing us, guys, this is destroying us. People believe because they heard two or three sentences out of a teacher in the sixth grade. Or as I heard, I remember even hearing it in my church my missionary baptist church when i was a young man in high school i remember the preacher saying that the constitution was ordained by god i grew up with that so i can understand the indoctrinated mind but there is an old saying that if you are an honest man or an honest person and you are presented with a fact that counters what you believe. If you do not accept that fact, you cease to be an honest person.
0: Bingo. Uh,
5: Michael. uh, Yes, sir. Would you, would you say though that that period of time was the first time that anybody really challenged the right of Kings and put God ahead of the Kings?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, I do not know enough about uh, history in Scotland and other places to give you an accurate answer on that. But I will tell you, and I read from an article I wrote uh, quite some time, I think on last week's show, that uh, it was uh, in the Revolutionary War era, in the colonies... If it hadn't have been for the preachers, if it hadn't have been for the ministers, there there wouldn't have been a revolution, because these people were saying, "Away with the, with the king! Only, our only king is King Jesus." And that was the concept that was uh, that was permeated throughout most of the colonies was that exact thought and that belief. I think the Magna Carta, however, may have been including John Peter Muhlenberg. Uh, in Virginia, of the fact that these people, these preachers, became the military leaders of their community. They weren't, and the ones who didn't set back and wrote pamphlets of encouragement to send to the ministers. One of the one of the best studies that I ever uh, did on my own was to go back and find a and make a compilation of sermons that were available from the Revolutionary War era. If uh, a person, uh, if a minister, uh, a like yourself, were to read one of these uh, sermons that was delivered in 1780, uh, 1783, 1784, if, uh, well, let's go back to, uh, you know, 1760s. If you were to deliver a, a, a message like that today in a sermon uh, the majority of the uh, congregation would get up and leave
5: yeah it it, it i guess the, the the leadership wasn't nearly as religious as the people who fought it yet you, even jefferson they found his bible where he cut out the new testament all the miracles of jesus
1: well jefferson was not a christian uh, uh Jefferson was a unitarian and uh he uh, or uh, you know he was called a deist but he was in effect a unitarian in the last letters between he and John Adams and they had had a huge split over the 1800 election but they later became friends by letter and uh, ironically they both died on the same day uh, uh you know 50 years after the declaration of independence they both died on July the 4th 1826 and uh Jefferson actually died in the morning, Uh, Adams died in the afternoon, but uh, Adams' last words were, Jefferson lives. Of course, he had died that morning, and of course there was no way to know, we didn't have CNN yet. But um, anyway, uh, the the last letters, Jefferson said to John Adams, I wish that I could live long enough to see every man in America a Unitarian i'm not 18. sure i know
5: what a unitarian is
1: a unitarian is someone who believes in a single god yeah, he's do not, not a believe christian in, uh, jesus or the holy ghost oh
0: man. let me jump in real quick um i think you might want to look at the magna carta also because uh, that document and with with prince john <clears throat> you know they pretty much put god over the king there Um, and you would not believe how hard it is to actually find the text of the Treaty of Paris online. Everybody has stories about it, they talk about it, but nobody will give you the text. I finally found it, and I just want to read the first paragraph. This is the kicker. In the name of the most holy and undivided Trinity, it having pleased the divine providence to dispose the hearts of the most serene and most potent Prince George III, by the grace of God, King of Britain, or Great Britain, France and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, Duke of Brunswick and Lunenburg, Arch-Treasurer and l- Prince Elector of the Holy Roman Empire etc. and of the United States of America. To forget all the past misunderstandings and differences that have unhappily interpreted or interrupted the good con- con- correspondence and friendship which they mutually wish to restore. So they're basically, we're just going back to the way it was.
1: <laughs> yeah, now, Jim, uh, that is one of the reasons you just enumerated why that tree is yeah. so hard to find.
3: Exactly. Say, they, they don't, don't want people to
0: attitude. know. It's amazing. But there it is. Yeah. Hey, Jim. Yeah. Can
3: you hear me? Can I what? It's
6: Doug. It's Doug.
0: Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead.
6: Can you hear me? Yeah. All this information that both Roger show and your shows present are just jewels. Uh, and what I have to say about today's uh, documentation and presentation, it has to do with something I've gone through, which I think it relates to all of this, Um uh, it's been many years since I've uh, gone through the book of Jeremiah. And I think I was led like to do this. And so it t- it's taken me two or three days to go through it all. And now um, on the following book, Ezekiel. Both of these men were prophets of the Creator sent to put forth a message to Israel, Jacob, and uh, Judah, the, the 10 northern tribes and the uh, the two southern tribes. And uh, I've been greatly uh, impressed, and, and I think this fits, because we're talking about you guys, uh, you know, we consider... Um, the history of the United States government and the people involved in this. This goes back quite a a few years before, and what was happening is that the children of of the Father, the, the covenant people, We're getting into idolatry and into Babylonianism. And um, so he sent, first he sent Jeremiah the prophet to tell them what was going to happen to them, which is indicative of a superpower of the creator saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm giving you a chance to turn around, but they just wouldn't. And all these uh, politicians, etc., they just won't change. I mean, they, whatever their reason is, it could be political power, it could be money that they make, whatever. And so, at the, uh, basically, everything that the creator had planned to happen, that he told the people through the mouth of his. Jeremiah happened. And this was in the time of Solomon's Temple, uh, all kinds of kings of all the different lands. And um, now at the time, the, the Israelite people had been taken captive because of their idolatry. And let's just face it. If you believe in your government to take care of things, and um, you, etc. cetera, it's because you don't know who you're supposed to believe in. And so you're paying your taxes, et cetera. So anyway, at the end of the book of Jeremiah, things begin to happen. The temple is destroyed, Solomon's temple. Everything is taken to Babylon. And the father had amazingly chosen uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nezar, and who was the king of Babylon, to and called him his servant, because he was chosen to punish his children of Israel and Judah. Mm-hmm. So uh, from so here's my point here is that that there, there is a greater power than all the politicians and the government of the United States and all the that rules and makes decisions to uh, bring things to pass, and I don't think that'll ever end. Well, I know it will never end. So, anyway, that's my input into the the scenario. I, I appreciate. It. I really love uh, Michael uh, Michael Gaddy's uh, knowledge of all this stuff. I I eat it up because it's it's all pertinent, but yep. it just shows that these men weren't really religious people or scriptural people. They were involved in uh, things, different things at the founding of our nation. But like I, I, I have a book called uh, "Un." Undaunted Courage, which is the story of uh, of um, Lewis and Clark. You know, I mean, and, and but when I read this whole thing, um, it, it, when I came away after reading this book, I was like, wow. Uh, Jefferson was really only interested in owning more land. That's, he funded it. He sent these guys out, but his his uh, motive was <laughs> just own more land, more and more and more land, and so. But everything that's going on is all about, and, and uh, Michael, you you alluded to this and mentioned it. You know, everything's according to, uh, you can call it the the creator's law but to boil it down it's he makes decisions. He says this is what's gonna happen and when he when he declares that that's it. It's going to happen and it does happen. His bill is always done. And I think that in kind of the big picture here, that'll never stop and it's very valuable if you have this understanding and background of that. That's really there's the lawgiver who, and law in law, in, in in the sense of him saying, "This is what's going to happen. This is what I declare." Well, that becomes law. It, it just is going to be that way, and. So, I think it's really valuable to understand, from a historical perspective, the things that have happened um, in um, a microscopic level, mm-hmm. uh, and to to be able to discern the difference between what people think the Constitution is on a surface level and what it actually was and all the intricacies that went on underlying all these decisions and conferences and congresses. and It's, uh, it's very uh, intriguing to me as a researcher
2: mm-hmm.
6: uh, to, to have you uh, describe this stuff. So I thank you very much
0: great thanks doug and uh yeah we have to remember that god's in control and he's going to determine you know he governs in the affairs of men uh mike have, is, does your research uh back up what he's saying about uh jefferson just wanting to get more land kind of sounds like it
1: <laughs> well here is one of the things guys that uh you know and this is one of the reasons why i have so little confidence in government. And I believe that probably the very best four year term of any president in our history was the first four years of Thomas Jefferson. I don't think there's been any other four year period that can match that. Of course, Jefferson's second term probably comes in as one of the worst in our history. And I put that to uh, go back to Lord Acton, when Lord Acton, in writing to Robert E. Lee, said power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I do not believe, and many of our anti-federalists wrote about this, that you cannot put power into the hands of people for an extended period of time because it corrupts them. It's just the very nature. You cannot give people that kind of power and that kind of authority over other people. Eventually, it leads to corruption. And that was why, initially, Jefferson was the proponent of what he called rotation. We call it today uh, uh, term limits. But he believed that no one should be elected to the Congress or president for more than one year at any time. And then he believed that there should be at least a space of two years before they could come back again. Because initially Jefferson saw where this was going to go, That and he talked about it. He said in the, his notes on the state of Virginia, he said that what will happen is if you, you will create a permanent ruling class and the rights of the people are destroyed. But it, I found it ironic that in his second term, he fell right into that. He fell right into the exact thing. I gave Jefferson in his first term all of the uh, credit in the world about the Louisiana Purchase. James Madison was Secretary of State. And the uh, they were terribly worried when the Mississippi River changed hands from control of the Spanish to control of the French and that represented a real threat because the Mississippi River was such a tributary everyone needed that especially in the southern states and in the West so because of that Jefferson sent Madison to Napoleon to purchase the city of New Orleans so they could control the port of the Mississippi and so Jefferson gets to Napoleon, I'm sorry, Madison gets to Napoleon, and Napoleon has just been in a battle with Fran- battle with uh, Spain, and he's thinking about going to war with England again, and so he says to uh, Madison, well, uh, sell you uh, New Orleans, why don't I just sell you all of that land? And Madison says, well, what's out there? And... <laughs> You know, uh, Napoleon basically says, how the hell do I know? So here, and so Madison comes back to Jefferson and says, here's our fantastic opportunity. Napoleon needs money. He's willing to sell this whole western part of the United States all the way to the ocean. Okay, uh, so they. Jefferson's first question to Madison was, I'm afraid it's not constitutional. That was his first thought. I'm afraid it's not constitutional to do that. And so Madison set about proving to Jefferson that it was constitutional to do it. Now, that's still a good question. Was Louisiana Purchase constitutional? But Madison convinced, with the help of Albert Gallatin, he convinced Jefferson that it was legal. Well, wow. And so the purchase took place.
0: That was what, like $14 million or something for all that?
1: Right. Right. <laughs> and, you know, if you, uh, talking about the, um, land grabbers, the land speculators, uh, go back to the Ohio company and nobody was a larger land speculator than was George Washington.
0: Hmm. Starting out as a surveyor. Right. He knew what was out there. Had a good idea.
1: Well, almost all of the Federalists were huge land speculators.
0: Hmm. I want to shift gears real quick. I just heard something the other day that I found to be very interesting. And I want to get your take on it recently you may have heard about it recently a uh, this is a it's based on a youtube or a twitter video or something from a guy who's in the military who attended a um, retirement ceremony for a former uh, military uh, general or you know admiral or what i think probably a general and it's customary when a when a flag officer retires, there's a letter issued by the standing or the sitting president, you know, congratulating them and, you know, going over their career and all that kind of stuff. Well, in this case, and again this was just within the last couple of weeks, um, this guy retired and there was a letter from the president, and it was very flowery and everything, and when it was done it was signed. Listen for it, wait for it donald j trump president of the united states and it's like what the heck and he said when that was read all the military personnel in in the room were like looking at each other like what the heck is this all about (laughs) and they're like we don't know everybody's kind of like why would it be signed by donald trump And it's, uh, I think they said Presidential Directive 51 was the title of it or something like that. I haven't had a chance to look it up, but I've heard, I've seen the video. I would play it, but it's got some nasty language in it that I don't really want to put on the air. But um, I found it very interesting. And, you know, this guy, you know, he was in uniform when he made the, it was a, you know, uh, Class C uniform. Um, but he was in uniform when he made the video and it's like, I don't know what this is, but it's got me wondering and had everybody else wondering, what do you guys make of that? Have you heard about it?
1: I remember, uh, Jim reading something about that as it, uh, went across, uh, uh, you know, my, uh, uh, research stuff that I do daily. I remember seeing that, uh, I didn't place a great deal of confidence in it. I mean, I've heard too many of these, uh, you know, that uh, these wonderful theories now that are out there that uh, you know, uh, Biden's president of the corporate United States, Trump's president of the United States, all things uh, to just uh, you know, fuel to keep the American mind occupied so they won't see what's going on.
0: Yeah. That's one way of looking at it. (laughs) Anybody else? Robert? Have you seen anything? Or Brad?
3: Jim, when was that again? Uh,
0: Within the last few days. It was mentioned on a conference call I was on on Monday. And uh, I saw the video, I think it was yesterday or the day before. And they were talking about like within the last couple of weeks, this thing actually took place.
4: Can you
0: shoot me that video? I'll have to see if I can find it again. Um, I think I may have it on my you uh, ut- or the um, shoot. What do they call it? No, Telegram page. I'm looking for here. Yeah, if you go to Telegram, uh, it's like you have to scroll up a little bit from the you know, the last thing. It's probably within the last ten.
1: Jim, uh, that may be where I saw it.
0: Yeah. It's on It's on my Telegram feed on the Your DIY Health, and it's a um, guy in a military uniform, bald with uh, dark sunglasses on, and it's a. um not sure, I think it's a, it's either a Twitter or a, yeah, it says Twitter, there we go. Um, but who knows, it's Presidential Directive 51, it says, and let me see if I can do a search and find that real quick. You, know, you never know. But, uh, uh, if I could type, <laughs> it just, it just struck me as interesting. That's all I can say.
5: Jim, I, I don't, I know, I don't know about that, but, uh, creature, my go-to creature, uh, is John MacArthur. And, uh, he made the statement some weeks ago that, uh, It's over for this country as a whole. We're under judgment, and all you can do is save yourself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's another way of looking at it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, with all the stuff this country's done, you know, all other countries have been punished over the years. What makes us think that we're so good that we're not going to be? Um, You know, that's one of the things, that's the the height of hubris to think that we're exempt from God's judgment. The only thing we've got going for us is we put more missionaries out into the world than any other country in history. And uh, if it wasn't for that, I think he would have come down on us a long, long time ago.
3: Well,
1: Jim, uh, may I take this opportunity to plug my program tomorrow? Oh,
0: definitely, definitely.
1: All right. Tomorrow, I would like, uh, hope everyone will get a chance to listen in. This should be very interesting. On my program tomorrow, which starts at noon Eastern, uh, I will have, i uh, very honored to have uh, the Pastor Ted Wyland on. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with him, but he will be on tomorrow at noon uh, Eastern, and we will be discussing our topic is, is the Constitution a Christian document? <laughs> I he was.
0: If, uh, I saw if, something from you, him. I think it was him. I'm
1: sorry, gentlemen, go ahead.
0: I'm sorry. I was thinking. I saw. I think I saw something from Ted Weil. Was is he in uh, like Wisconsin or someplace like that?
1: I tell, I've got to plead ignorance. I'm not exactly sure where he's from, but uh, he has. Uh, uh, you know he puts out stuff daily. I get his uh, daily uh, uh, notes and uh, he is uh, I think it's going to be really great because I think uh, we come to the same conclusion from different points and he, he really goes into the scriptural issues and I'm going to be with the historical issues but uh, I think we arrive at the same destination but I think it's going to be one really informative trip.
5: Michael, I, I thought that was going to be on Sunday on um, Revolution Radio, but I, I must be wrong about that, huh?
1: No, this is tomorrow on Revolution Radio. Uh, we had initially planned for it to be on sun, on my Sunday program, but uh, uh-huh. uh, P- Pastor Wyland could not work in Sunday evening, So, and I understand why. So we had preferred the Sunday evening program. That was our initial Uh, place where we wanted it but uh, we had to settle for uh, we had to settle for tomorrow at noon. Noon Central? Noon Central. Noon uh, Eastern. It will be 11 o'clock Central.
0: Okay. Who else was in the background?
1: I'm sorry? Say again? Can you hear me?
0: I heard somebody, but I'm. Was that you, yeah, Doug? Uh, yeah, you're real faint. But go ahead, quickly. We're running uh, short on time.
6: Okay, uh, I, I go back to the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the probably the greatest ruler that ever ruled the largest part of the world, and the Holy Father used him. He called him a servant, provided him with everything. Uh, allowed him to win battles over and over to capture the 10 northern tribes of Israel and then Judah. and But then in the end, he was punished. And I, uh, I relate this to Trump. When he first got in, I had someone, a buddy of mine, ask me, what do you think about this new guy? And I immediately went to... The book of Revelation I said well um, In my knowledge Of this uh, When the Trump is the first Trump It sounded and he's the first Trump uh, The father sent his messenger To seal up The people Who were going to be maybe the remnant Something along that line And so I said But this guy might not be that he might not be a a hero he might actually be something else that actually causes all of this to come in and and um, you know my present day uh, opinion of this I don't think the guy is uh, trustworthy
0: okay yeah there's a lot of people out there you know they're questioning that i'm still (laughs) you know i want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt but i'm still seeing a lot of weird stuff that just doesn't make sense and and anybody else is welcome to chime in uh also before i forget mike's got two websites uh rebelmadman.com and embracingtheobvious.com both of those are linked from the links page on my site and uh we've already covered the radio shows um And uh, don't forget that he's got a Telegram channel, um, Constitutional uh, Fraud, which is just, you know, it's got tons of great information. I wish I had the time to read everything he puts on there. Uh, But, you know, I do, I catch things from time to time, and it just blows me away. I just love the information. So I encourage everybody, if you're on Telegram, check it out. If you're not on Telegram, it's a good place to be. It's one of the few places where you can get good information without a whole bunch of uh, censorship. Uh, I'm on my third month of uh, Facebook jail. I don't even mess with that much anymore because every time I get on, I post something truthful and I get kicked off again for another 30 days. But uh, that being said, anybody else? Uh, uh, Samuel, Robert, uh, anybody else want to jump in with anything?
1: Well, Jim, if I could, yeah. quickly, uh, if I could very quickly before someone else is yep. that, Jim, I have constitutional fraud on Telegram. I also have Rebel Madman on Telegram.
0: Right. Thank you. Yep. Go ahead, Robert.
1: Yeah, why is uh, Ted not able to
4: make it on Sundays? It's because he has church services, I'm assuming.
1: He said uh, previous obligations on Sunday afternoon or evenings, so I, I didn't question that. But my natural assumption would be for a minister, uh, Sunday evenings is usually Sunday evening service.
0: Makes yeah, sense. That's,
1: that's what I was thinking too. Because I believe he is a pastor. Okay, that's cool.
5: Are you guys familiar with Glenn Ambort?
0: I've heard that name.
5: I'm not. It's one of Rogers' guys. Yeah, teachers. that's one of Rogers' guys. Quite an intelligent, the quite an guy. intelligent yeah, man. Um, sorry. I sent Roger a post that he did around 2020. When he was in jail and incarcerated, he. He read more scripture and stuff and uh, he's come to the conclusion and taking it as a contract with God that Saturday is the Sabbath and he said as soon as he changed to honoring God's promise, his life changed completely. For the better. Just thought I'd throw that out. Well there. I think
4: was well, changed, so yeah. Uh, that that makes perfect sense. Would you agree, James?
0: Well, I agree that Saturday is the Sabbath, but Sunday is the day that Christians meet in honor of uh, Christ rising on the first day of the week. And the Sabbath is meant for the Jewish population.
1: Well, Jim, uh, we've uh, kind of touched on part of that, but uh, and we touched on Jefferson. And he obviously was not a Christian. Uh-huh. Of course, Jefferson wasn't at the Constitutional Convention can anyone name a devout Christian who was at the Constitutional Convention?
6: (laughs) (laughs)
5: That's a trick question, I bet.
1: (laughs) Hey, wait a minute, Brad. I don't do trick questions. (laughs) That was Samuel. Oh, Samuel? I don't do trick questions, Samuel. Come on, give me a break, please. (laughs)
0: I have to do a little research but on that one. Is
1: there any evidence there was a devout Christian at the convention? Well, now that's a good question.
4: They did vote to get rid of the oath, so argue so that. Well,
1: we have to understand they did that by state, so there could have been delegates who voted against that provision. But uh, did anyone actually stand for Christian principles at the Constitutional Convention?
5: From what you're teaching, no.
0: I'm still digging.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, the one thing, you know, let's look at who opposed slavery because we all know that slavery is no way christian
0: well was luther luther martin was there starting out but he left right
1: right luther martin finally had all he could take and he left and so did john francis mercer and uh but uh, george mason stuck it out to the end and he was very much opposed to, as I mentioned before, not to be redundant, but he was very much also opposed to slavery. Let me guess, George Mason, George Mason. The wonderful judge Oliver Ellsworth said. (laughs) Oliver Ellsworth, when they were talking about the South, was concerned about representation being based on population. Because at that time, South Carolina had as many blacks in slavery almost as they had whites who weren't. So South Carolina said, if we're going to do this by population, then we're going to be shortchanged because we can't count blacks as a, as a vote for representation. And that's where the three-fifths clause came in. The North didn't want the blacks to count for anything. The South said, well, look, we've got to have some. So there was the three-fifths compromise. But we Oliver Ellsworth, in opposition to that, Three Fifths Clause said, "Look, if you people in the South get to count your slaves, I get to count my cows and horses."
2: Mm-hmm. And that was
1: the wow. mentality that was expressed at the convention, and uh, and then several others came up and said, "Look, uh, there's," and this is what really hit me when I first read it, and several different conventioners said, "Look." We're not here for moral purposes. <laughs> so they were being I mean, my, very honest.
5: Couldn't the argument be made because you see slavery talk about so much in the Old Testament that there would have been some thinking that it was okay?
1: Well, uh, you know, there are lots of people in history, including uh, Robert L. Dabney, uh, the minister uh, who was uh, Stonewall Jackson. A lot of people have mentioned uh, that it was biblical. But here is the point. No one at the Constitutional Convention said we can have slavery because it's biblical. They said we have slavery because we can get taxes off of it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh uh, he's followed the money, <laughs> yeah, I would guess George Mason was one or close
1: yeah i i you know he never espoused it, but here's the thing that i that I think people and I bring this up constantly in this discussion is among the founders reading their letters thousands of their letters I've read over forty years. Thousands of letters that they have written back and forth, and I think that's where the history is. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at what they had to say themselves about their group, those people, it was that almost to a man, they all agreed that the most devout Christian among them was Patrick Henry. Yeah. And I believe Patrick Henry's life would support that, including his last will and testament. Because the first item he left to his children and grandchildren was the Christian faith.
2: Hmm.
1: And so I don't believe there's any doubt. Well, if Patrick Henry was a Christian and the Constitution was a Christian document, Patrick Henry didn't get the memo. Because nobody fought, nobody fought harder against the ratification of the Constitution than did Patrick Henry. Yep, he was a thorn in their side. That is for sure. Well, you know, he at one time, gentlemen, in a letter between Thomas Jefferson and uh, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson voiced they were they were upset about the uh, tact that Patrick Henry was taken taking. And Jefferson said to Madison, uh, the greatest thing that would happen to us, or the greatest thing that could happen for us is if Patrick Henry would just die.
0: Good grief.
6: So, Michael, I have to ask this question. What would Patrick Henry have introduced as something, as a rule of law or rule of practices, to, in exchange for the Constitution.
1: Well, number one, and uh, Doug, the thing that is most important is that Patrick Henry could find no serious fault with the Articles of Confederation, and he mentioned that on several occasions. And when. Uh, when uh, Hamilton and others said in the Federalist Papers, well, we've got to have a strong central government. We've got to have a standing army. We've got to have this. Patrick Henry's response was, well, with our state militias and with our Articles of Confederation, we just defeated the largest army on the planet. Why do we need to change it? Good point. And they had no answer.
0: mm 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 That yeah. logic, man, it just gets the way of I everything.
3: You, Mike, you, you've educated me enough to know that I can actually answer that question too. The Constitution was not ever formed to meet some kind of need that society was acknowledging back then. The Constitution was formed because they needed a way to generate a federal tax to pay back a debt to a bank that was owned by the dudes that wrote the Constitution. There was no big overarching problem plaguing society that the Articles of Confederation could not address. The need Name for again, the, Const- the need for the <laughs> Constitution came because of a secret need to be able to tax as many people as uniformly as possible and pay back the people that actually wrote the dang thing. <laughs> well that
1: is true and one thing i want to read i know we're running out of time here and it's very short people to me this is a statement find anybody who was a federalist who made this statement anywhere even close and it's short patrick henry said i consider myself as the servant of the people of this commonwealth as a sentinel over their rights liberty and happiness I represent their feelings when I say that they are extremely, exceedingly uneasy at being brought from that state of full security, which they enjoyed, and he's talking about the articles, to the present delusive appearance of things, unquote. Patrick Henry saw himself as the sentinel of the to guard the people's rights and liberty. Not one Federalist ever said anything near that. Exactly. There you go.
0: Like that dude, and he smelled a rat.
5: Uh, <laughs> Michael, do you do you think Jefferson penned the de- Declaration?
1: Yes. Now okay. he was accused of plagiarism. Uh, he was, and he said when he was accused of plagiarism on the Declaration of Independence, he said the one thing I will tell you, there's nothing original in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. So, but he did. He like- drew. He drew from two things. He drew from uh, George Mason's uh, Declaration of Rights that had been published the month before, and he drew heavily from John Locke.
5: Well, there's an argument out there that that is not his his um,
0: the writing, writing style and speech
5: style at all.
0: Yeah, they're saying it was. Yeah, well, how um... would
5: anybody know by comparing him to? to other people at the, of the time, uh, so-called uh, atheists, that uh, well, wouldn't look too good by penning it.
1: Well, I have read 1,243 letters that exchanged between Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. Okay. And I have read uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 letters between Thomas Jefferson and James Monroe, several of which they wrote in uh, code so that people couldn't didn't know what they were saying. But I, did, I don't find anything outside of Thomas Jefferson's other writings in the Declaration that I would say, hey, this is a striking uh, anomaly. Uh, I can't find it. Now, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't see it.
5: I also heard this, this mis- be, might be BS, too, but that he didn't really take credit for it until on his deathbed.
1: Well— I don't, uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't think he ever took credit for it on his deathbed. I do, I didn't see that in, in, in any of his letters at the time. I do know uh, a lot of, uh, one of the things that uh, we could talk about at some point in time is how many of the founders uh, or framers uh, died heavily in debt or broke. And Jefferson was one of them.
0: Well, that's pretty much about all we got time for. <laughs> this has been a good and, one. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Jim. I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk with these folks. I love
0: it. Well, I'll tell you what, it's great to have you, and thank you, Robert, for recommending this so many, you know, it's been a couple of years ago now, and it's been just a fantastic uh, thing. It's a Thursday afternoon, back to school, and <laughs> getting what we never got before. But uh, we're out of time, and the guys are saddled up and riding. So I uh, just watched this movie the other night, by the way, but... Uh, appreciate everybody being here Uh, take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live and we'll be back live on monday tomorrow's a replay of this show and we'll be back monday take care and we will see you then have a great weekend and god bless